Welcome back to another episode of Quick Bits. This is covering the week of April 10th to April 14th, and it is going to be a quick one, I hope. We've got a lot to talk about this week, mostly regarding Motley Crue. I'm legal analyst Emily D. Baker. This is the Quick Bits, where I break down just the main points of the pop culture and entertainment cases I'm currently covering on YouTube and the Emily Show podcast. Let's get into it. On Tuesday, I was talking to students about social media at the University of Memphis, so I was not present streaming, but we had a really good discussion, I think, I hope, (laughs) I thought it was good, about social media, um, deepfakes, AI, the impact of that, who owns that, will TikTok be banned, what is behind bans like this, where the boundaries are of privacy and anonymity, online? How is that being regulated by different governments? And how does that get impacted by things like AI and deepfakes? It is truly an emerging and continuing to emerge wild west of things that the law and lawmakers are just woefully unprepared to deal with and trying to figure out as the rest of us are. So one of the things I really focused on was how to parse out what is real, what is not real, what is sensationalized. Is a video even real? Is a voice even real? Is a soundbite even real? And that led me into my thinking with regard to Tuesday's The Emily Show podcast. If you do not listen to The Emily Show podcast, it's on all your favorite podcasting apps in addition to being here on YouTube. But I broke down what's happening in the Koberger case out of Idaho. There's been a lot of headlines about whether Brian Koberger is connected to other crimes and whether victims' IDs were found with him. And I tracked that all back to the source that was reporting it, where it was coming from, and trying to parse out what was headlines and what was the underlying story. With regard to Koberger being investigated for other crimes, the headlines make it sound like people think that this is a serial event. But when you look at the quotes from district attorneys in Pennsylvania who did look to see if Koberger was connected to any other crimes in their area, the answer from both was a resounding no. There are no unsolved or outstanding cases that we think there is any Koberger connection to. So it was kind of a big fat nothing. And then with regard to IDs, and I've seen a ton of reporting of this, in the Pennsylvania search warrant that came from Brian Koberger's parents' home and the car, there were those two search warrants that I covered, there were ID cards found inside glove, inside box. That is what the search warrant item number 35 on the return says. So ID cards found inside a glove, found inside a box. Is that a normal way to store ID cards? Probably not, but all the reporting we're seeing is coming from News Nation saying that there is a source that says that those IDs or ID cards are connected to somebody at the King Road residence, and that has been extrapolated by others to mean one of the victims of this horrible quadruple homicide. But Law enforcement in Idaho is still locked down. There is no name on the source. So at this time, that is still unverified information for me. Yes, there were ID cards. Who they belong to, I'm still waiting to see what plays out in court. 
And then on that episode, I talk about the fact that this gag order is still in place and whether that helps or hurts in a circumstance like this, where no one can come out and either deny or verify these types of news reports that seem to come from sources. Could those sources be from Pennsylvania? Yes, but then you could name them if they're not subject to the gag order. And why not do that? And then it's either verified or not. But all of the reporting around this case uh, lately has been kind of in that gray zone of, is this speculation or is this fact? And so I think it'll be very interesting to see where we get on the preliminary hearing in this case in June, what information comes in. If this is true, if there are IDs hidden inside a glove, hidden inside the box that are connected to the King Road residence, it is a very strong piece of evidence because what else would they be doing inside of Brian Koberger's parents' house? But we don't know that for sure yet. And so I am waiting until we do. The writ with regard to the non-dissemination order is still pending and no ruling has been made on that yet. During Thursday's live stream, I covered what kind of started to break, I think, over Easter weekend. I wasn't online much, so when I kind of logged back in mm, Tuesday, I saw a lot going down between Ethan Klein of the H3 podcast and BBTV, a multi-channel network, and there was like a whole entire kerfuffle that happened very quickly. Ethan Klein was alleging that his multi-channel network that he was signed with had taken over $600,000 as a 30% of revenues that they thought they were entitled to from membership revenue on YouTube. I went through the contract that Ethan provided to me of the agreement between him and BBTV to try to find where this source of revenue was because when the contract was signed in 2017, channel memberships on YouTube did not exist. So how do you place something in a contract that hasn't existed yet? What category does it fall under? I think that contract favored Ethan Klein's interpretation over BBTV's interpretation. And ultimately, by Thursday, when I went live, BBTV had finally agreed to pay back that money, and that money had been received by Ethan Klein. But it raises a lot of questions on contract, contract interpretation, how you decide when things haven't been in existence yet, how they're covered by a contract, what to look for, and how creators, not just in YouTube, but in multiple industries, end up in contracts that can be very difficult to get out of and have very unfavorable terms. Speaking of difficult contract in different industries, we've got to talk about McMars and Motley Crue. With McMars and Motley Crue, there is a lawsuit, sort of. What was filed is essentially a lawsuit, but it's seeking a writ. So what they are seeking is the court to force an action to happen. Not seeking monetary damage, well, well, also seeking monetary damages, but not primarily seeking monetary damages. Asking the court to turn over the corporate books for seven LLC entities that governed Motley Crue and their touring and their merchandise and their catalog and all of the rest of the things that go into being, you know, a massive international band. But what's alleged in this lawsuit is that Nikki Six and other band members are trying to force 
Mars out of the band after he told them that he could no longer go on tour due to his autoimmune disorder, that touring was not in the cards. He could do a residency. He can be in the studio. He can still work with the band, but touring was out of the question. All the band members are 25% owners of the various corporations. After he told the band that he was stepping down from touring but not retiring from the band, they called a shareholder meeting and were trying to force his hand and buy out his shares of stock. And this completely degraded into a wild situation that is now, it seems, partly in arbitration and partly with Mars's demand that the court force the entities to turn over their books so he can see what is going on if they are going to force a sale of shares, what the valuation of those shares are. But what we are seeing is a very ugly breakup that didn't have to be this way based on what Mars is alleging. It'll be interesting to see how Motley Crue's entities respond to this. None of the other members of the band are named individually because this is a demand for those books. But the allegations in the lawsuit show a relationship that is unraveling quickly. And it's really going to be an interesting case to follow because pushing him out of the band due to an autoimmune disorder is going to implicate the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's already partly in arbitration. Is there wrongful termination here? Oh, and there's a really curious quirk of attorney conflict. And the attorney that wrote the writ put in a whole bunch of the attorney back and forth. So, of course, there is quite a lot of shade and lawyer snark in the band offering Mars a 5%. Why is it always 5%? But in the band offering Mars 5%, and then he would be removed from all the corporate entities. In the lawsuit, the response from the band's attorney was, quote, as such, if your client rejects the severance package that was graciously offered to him by the band, he will get next to nothing. I suggest you think about the repercussions of this decision. So that's the way those conversations and negotiations are going. It is a govern yourself accordingly. I suggest you think about the repercussions of this decision. Do you think that'll work with my teen? Maybe. I think that needs to be my new make good choices. It just has more weight to it. Think about the repercussions of this decision. So with that, think about the repercussions of your decisions to subscribe to this channel. They will all be good. There will be more quick bits in your future. That's what I covered this week. Let me know what story is captivating you and what you can't wait to deep dive on. All the links to my long form content will be down below. Don't forget to go download The Emily Show on your favorite podcasting player. All right. Lawners, that was quick. Let's go. Bye. For deep dives into the stories that I covered here, you can find them on my YouTube channel at The Emily D. Baker and The Emily Show Podcast. I stream every Tuesday and Thursday. The podcast goes live on Wednesdays. And if you want more Law Nerd community, come join us at lawnerdsunite.com. 